How to get close to God. That would be a, a good thing to know, wouldn't it? How to get close to God. Well, we're going to look at a verse in Psalm 34, 18 tonight. And just consider that very thought along with some other passages of Scripture this evening. So if you have your Bible, look with me there. Psalm 34, Psalm of David. This is uh, when David was really under threat or fear of his life, and he's there before Abimelech. In fact, this may be even at the head of your chapter, a little explanation of this, and, and, uh, and David feigns and changes his behavior so that uh, rather than attacking David, he'll drive him away as, as a madman here. But uh, David probably realized what a, a close call it was and really how that could have gone sideways very easily except he recognized God's hand at work in protecting him. And again, what a, a fresh opportunity for David as a man after God's own heart to be able to just bask in God being not a distant God, not some sort of made-up God, not some sort of mischievous God, but a God who loves, a God who cares a God who has his best interest at heart. What a blessing it is to know that's the same God that we serve tonight. Amen? So what does Psalm 34, 18 says? It reads this way, The Lord is nigh, or we could say near, the Lord is nigh unto them that are, number one, of a broken heart, and number two, saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. So this is talking about closeness of God. We all like to be close to certain individuals. Now, there's certain people you might try to avoid, but we all pretty much, I would say, this is a safe thing to say, like to have someone or several someones in our life that we feel close to. And, and what do we mean when we say that? Well, it's someone we can confide in, probably, Someone that we might look to as a counselor. Someone we can just be very real. You know, we don't have to put on any kind of cautionary face. Or maybe we don't even have to feel like we have to tiptoe around, you know, worried about what we might say. Uh, because, you know, there's this acceptant, acceptance of us by them. And we know that. I want you to imagine the idea of just making a decision that you want to add a close friend into your sphere of people that you're associated with. Not just any friend, you want a close friend. And hypothetically, let's say that you're thinking through everybody that you know about, and you make the decision that you want as your close friend to this new close friend to be Prince William, okay? Duke of Cambridge, heir to the English crown. I mean, why not set your sights high, right? But you know, if you think about that a little bit, unless you have already some inroads that I don't know about, and you might, okay, talk to me afterwards because I want to know if you do, all right? Think about how difficult it would be to begin to create really even kind of an acquaintance with someone like that, right? Uh, I'm sure he has layers and layers of security and things like that. I mean, I'm not even sure that you could email him and it would get to him. He's 
got secretaries, no doubt, all sorts of things like that. So it's not like you can just call them up and say, hey, you want to get coffee next time I'm in London? What, what is the reason for that? Well, his importance. He's a man of notoriety. And, of course, you know, there might be a lot of people that would love to be able to say, you know, I'm not just Facebook friends with uh, Prince William. You know, we're buddies. You know, we're BFFs, as they would say today. Uh, but his importance. And he's busy, you know, doing whatever princes do. But they, they do have, a, I'm sure, a very rigorous schedule, meeting with people, making appearances, sort of like that. He's got layers of staff, his security detail. All of these things would make it very challenging for you or I or pretty much anybody we know to get into any kind of a meaningful friendship with someone like that. And you know what? We don't think anything of it. We just think, yeah, that's just the way life operates. It might be easier to pick a less important individual to have a friendship with you know, and just say, well, I'm just going to pick someone that's low on the totem pole. Unless there's something about the person that you have in mind that a, just another substitute will not do. And, of course, what I'm setting up here is that very fact. I mean, who we're talking about having an intimate relationship with, a friendship with, is the most important person there is, and it's God. I mean, we do understand the personhood of God. He is God. He is a, a spirit. He is an essence. But there is the personhood of God. And, and we're told different ways that God wants to relate to us. You know, we talk about Jesus, uh, the second person of the triune God, saying to his disciples, you know, I call you friends, right? I call you friends. Uh, we understand that God is referred to us as we are his children. He says he is our Abba Father, you know, that intimate, not just a, a father who would send their child off to boarding school and, you know, you know who your father is, but you never spend time with him or communicate with him. You know, he brought you into the world, you know, so he could have maybe an heir and pass on his inheritance, but... He doesn't spend time with the son. That's not the kind of father we have, is it? God wants us, really commands us to have an intimate relationship with him. And that's why a verse like this is so refreshing to us. The Lord is. There's a present tense verb there. It's determinative. It's telling us this is the way it is. The Lord is nigh to every single person on the earth. No, there's people that he is not nigh unto. So let's ask ourselves, first of all, the question, what does it mean to have the Lord nigh? What are we talking about when we say something like that? You say, I'm pretty sure I understood from my learning about God and his attributes, things like he's all-powerful, and we call that omnipotent. And we say he's all-knowing, we call that omniscience. And something else we say about God is he's everywhere at the same time, and that's his omnipresence. There's no place where God isn't. He's here. He's everywhere. He's back at your house. He's with believers on the other side of the planet. Simultaneously, he's here. And so to say God is near 
in our minds, we might think just proximity, geographically. That's certainly part of what the word nigh or near means to us. And right now, I'm probably nearer to Jim right here than I am to anyone else or Woody, you know, because of distance. And, uh, and some of you are probably glad that you're further back. That's why you get the premium seats in the back, right? We understand how that works. But someone that's not even in the room right now is my wife, Becky. And yet I would say I'm nearer to my wife than I am to anyone that's here. Does that make sense to you when I say that? Does that make any of you puzzled? And, and what, what that means is if you get that, you means, okay, we're not talking about geographical proximity. We're not talking about a distance in that way. We're talking about something different. We're talking about intimacy, aren't we? And certainly that is what must be being talked about here because there's never a time that there is a distance from us and God in proximity. I mean, he's always right beside us. He's, he, there's no way a lost person can escape the presence of God. David talked about that. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? And then he lists all these possibilities of places where he can, might consider to go. And yet, if I go there, you know, if I make my, belly, you know, my bed in hell, you know, thou art there. I ascend into the heavens because God's everywhere. Jeremiah 23, 23, another great verse that kind of coincides with this. God says, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Rhetorical question, we would say that. God's throwing it out. The answer is supposed to be obvious. What is he saying? I'm always accessible. You know, someone can wander away from God, can run from God. Do they have to journey back to where they were? And, and I say this because sometimes people have this in their minds, okay? You know, I got away from God, I got away from church, and so for me to get right with God, you know, the first thing I do is go back to church. No, get right with God, then go back to church. God's right there. Start praying, confessing right where you are, wherever that is. Don't feel like you have to make a 200-mile journey back to your home church or something like that whatever you might have in your mind. Now, there might be other reasons why you need to go back to church to make amends with other people and so forth like that. A relationship with God also involves His deliverance of us. What do we need to be saved from? Well, there are several things in our life that we need to be saved from. Because if we're going to be near God, it means He's, he's pulling us away from other things that are going to be interfering or impeding that closeness, that affection that we have. Well, number one, right off the bat, you really can't be near God in a relationship if you're a lost person. And so we would call this condemnation. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So there is this event that has to take place in our life, and when it does, it's radical, is what Jesus is teaching us here. You, you were in a state of condemnation, which means that the, 
the, the writ or the justice would say, uh, you're going to face eternal perdition. You're going to face eternal torture. And yet, that doesn't have to be the case. And notice there's no middle ground here. It's, you go from one to the other. There's no gray area. There's no, no man's land, if you would. If you've passed from that condemnation, you've gone, on the other hand, to eternal life. Life that the Father gives to us. And so we can't have a walk with the Lord if we're not in that state of spiritual life. If he hasn't quickened us, made us alive. Say, what do I have to do to get that? Well, if you're a Christian, you already know the answer to that. But if you're here tonight, and maybe that's something that you're still struggling with, call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. Yes, we're sinners, but our sin can be forgiven because Jesus died on the cross to cover that, didn't he? And part of that life is, yes, life in heaven someday, that's going to be great, but that eternal life and that walk with him and that abundant life begins when? Right now, here on earth, as soon as we get saved. So condemnation is something that he, he is removing from us. He's saving us from. Something else the Bible tells us that God saves us from is despair. Now this, the other thing was talking about lost people. Now we're talking about what believers who are children of God, who are in a relationship with God, yeah, we still have problems, don't we? we? We still slip into areas where... We shouldn't be, honestly, but we do find ourselves there sometimes. And sometimes, as Christians, we might despair. It could be a very prolonged period of despair of something that, you know, is really getting us down. Uh, it could be a relationship problem, and, you know, you're not getting out of that relationship or avoiding that relationship. You know, that's not a solution, so you're just faced with it, faced with it, faced with it. And yet it can just be very perplexing, it can be very taxing, very wearing on you. It can bring you to a point of despair. It could be just a, a very singular event. You know, something like, you know, many things are going wrong in your day, and we've all had those, right? You know, uh, your, your, your spouse forgot to put coffee on the list, and, you know, there's not enough coffee to make a pot or even a cup for the day. So... Right now, your sanctification's in question from that point on, we know. And then you go out, and then you find out, you know, uh, that your adult child who still lives with you, you know, I'm making this up, okay, uh, you know, left the dome light on in the car, and now you go to use your car to get to work, and the battery's dead, you know, so you got to go drag the jumping and all this stuff. You, know, you, you see how it's going, and so, you know, and it kind of mounts, doesn't it? One thing is bothersome. The other thing is irksome. The next thing is aggravating. Pretty soon you're just like, I give up, you know? You know, I just, I'm just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. You know, we can, be get, we can get that attitude in our lives, even as Christians. But, you know, these are what I saw, sometimes call first world problems. You know, what believers face in other parts of the world we would be embarrassed to talk about these problems to them, wouldn't we? Paul, who faced a lot, you know, if you want to realize someone who's got bigger problems, go look at what Paul went through. He tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. 
Now just think about that much of what he said. Every, everywhere I look, there's a problem. There's an issue. There, there's, there's friction. You know, there's, there's trouble all around me. However, we don't find ourselves in a point where we're throwing up our hands in distress. He goes on to say, we are perplexed. These are the head-scratching moments. It's not wrong that you pause and see something. It's like, what in the world is going on? You know, you might even say, Lord, have I sinned? And are you sort of chasing me? And that's not a bad thing for us to do some soul searching, but we don't want to always assume, like Job's friends, that you know, every tribulation is tied to some sinful action, even in our own lives. He says, we are perplexed, but we're not in despair. That should mark the life of a Christian. Because that's what God has delivered us from. We should never come to the place in our lives where we just say, you know what? I can't handle it. You know, I give up. Because if we have Christ, we have solutions. We have his word. We have the spirit of God to guide us in that. Is he going to take away all our problems? No. The problems may stay very much exactly as they were. But our view of it, our handling of it, our attitude in the midst of it can just be filled with so much grace that the peace of God just washes in and strengthens us. Something else that he delivers us from is harm. What a blessing it is to see those moments where God steps in and intervenes. That doesn't mean that Christians don't ever get hurt. We do. But there's been many times that uh, the Lord has probably kept some bad thing from happening to you, and you may not even know about it, you know? You're oblivious to it. But I love what David, if you want to see someone whose life was filled with potential, or not just potential, but threats and harm in his life, David is a great example of that, right? He was often on the run, running for his life. And what did David say in Psalm 18, verse 2? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. Wow, what a great viewpoint. What a great position to maintain in your heart as you look at the threats that are out there. And we're going to face more and more threats. We're going to face, you know, the, you know, when you start to see on the news that they're looking kind of, violent maybe they're not violent but they're looking kind of violent and they're protesting outside of the the homes the personal homes of supreme court justices because you know uh they're considering the preserving the sanctity of life perhaps you know it's it's not going to be far that they're just going to be like oh you're a christian you're part of why our liberties got taken away you know my right to choose what happens in my body and things like that and you and I may have had nothing to do with it. You may never have wrote, written a letter to your senator. It's a good idea to write your senator. We definitely need to be praying for our legislators. But just that association, right? Oh, you're one of them. And so there's going to be threats coming. And so we need to understand that where, where we look is, is not just for the measures that we could take as humans. And there's a place for that. Uh, we understand that, you know, the chariot and the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord, the Bible tells us. We look to him ultimately. Psalm 85, verse 9, 
David said, Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. There's a, there's a nearness to God's deliverance, he's saying here. For who? For what kind of people? Those that have a healthy respect for God. That humble themselves and say, Lord, I am putting my trust in you. I'm not going to live, you know, cowering. I'm not going to be cavalier with my life and make stupid decisions either. But ultimately, I'm going to move forward realizing you're my protector. You're my rock. You know, sometimes we neglect our fellowship with God because our feelings fail to motivate us. You've probably been there. I've been there. There's times that, you know, I realize I need to spend time in my Bible, even if there's not on that exact day a great hunger, a great draw at that moment. There can be a lot of reasons for that. I stayed up too late. You know, I have something else on my mind when I first wake up, and I'm like, I'd really like to tackle this first. You know, we've all been there probably, and yet, what do we do? We say, well, my heart's not in it, and I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I don't want to read my Bible right now. I don't want to pray, maybe not even today. I'll, I'll wait till I'm in the mood. Is that, is, that, is that the right spirit? Yeah, I hope we understand that that's not the right approach to something like that. Someone once said this, and I don't know who it was. We are more likely to act our way into feeling than we are to feel our way into action. Let me just read that for you one more time. We are more likely to act our way into feeling. In other words, I know what I should be doing, so I'm just going to start doing the next right thing. And guess what? There's a good chance that your feelings will kind of catch up and get in sync with that. In other words, praise God, I'm, I'm glad I didn't blow off my quiet time, even though I wasn't so much into it. I'm glad I went ahead and spent that time in prayer, even though it was really laborious at first. I mean, I got to admit, I was really struggling to, to know what to say to God and pray, and I, my mind was distracted and wanting to be so many other places than here, praying to God. But we do it. And it doesn't mean it's going to put a timer on it. It's going to happen in five minutes or whatever the case might be. But it almost never works that your feelings will just naturally carry, oh, you know what, today I want to spend time with God. You know? Great. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about coming nigh God, the nearness, the closeness of God. But secondly, what do I need to do? What do you and I need to do to get close to God? Now, we've talked about nearness, things that compete with nearness that God has to deliver us from so we can be close to him. So how do I do this? Well, there's two things that are mentioned here, right? One thing is this, this broken heart, and the other thing is a contrite spirit. And if I could sum both of these up into two other words that might help us here, it would be hurting and humble. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to become one of these religious fanatics that believes that by inflicting harm to myself and pain to myself, that somehow that will help me want to get closer or it will help me to get closer to God. No, nothing could be further from the truth than that. But think about how we talk about closeness between two humans in a relationship, like a couple, a romantic couple. And not a married couple, but, you know, 
maybe they're they're courting or whatever like that, and something happens, and it's not going to work out work out somehow, and so it's usually often one-sided initially, right? It almost never happens where, like, God speaks to both of them the same night and they come together. It's like God told you know God was oh yeah God was showing me. It's usually one, and what do we call it? Breaking the other person's heart, right? And, you know, you don't ever want to see someone that you cared about hurting like that. But what do, we, what do we mean here when we talk about a broken heart? Does God want to see us squirming in that way? Well, when a burden seems to be on the heart, you know, and we, and we use this kind of terminology, don't we? You know, I have a burden on my heart. And when the heart seems to be crushed by something like sin or sorrow, you know, hopefully if we're sinning, you know, we're convicted and our heart is heavy with that. But we look at other people, right? And we see someone we care about and they're making bad decisions. Doesn't that lay heavy on our hearts? It does, doesn't it? Because we realize, oh, you know, they're, they're really, you know, messing up their walk with the Lord. They could be so much better off if they would just walk by faith and yield and surrender in this way. And so the heaviness is on our heart. Really, all this is designed to describe a consciousness of deep guilt or the heaviest kind of affliction and trouble that comes to us. You know, no one wants physical pain, you know, like you go through torture. But, you know, emotional pain can, can really sometimes be much harder to bear up underneath than the physical pain that's there. So are you concerned about what does or doesn't concern you? Now, that sounds like an odd question, right? But have you ever stopped and said, you know, you know, are there things that don't concern me but should concern me? And it might happen this way. You're in a conversation or overhearing a conversation or maybe you've heard a message and you can tell, yeah, you know, Pastor Wood, he's talking about this from the Bible and he's pointing this out and it seems to be there and, you know, and I can hear some people saying amen about this issue and yet, it's not really working on my heart. And I'm not broken over this. Not saying that you have a sin issue in your life, but, you know, just looking at the world around us. It, it could be easy for us to get a little bit jaded because it's just always there and it's always getting worse, right? Some people are hurting over a character in a TV program. I've heard people just... Oh, I was so... Did you see that last episode? It just tore me up. You know? And I'm like... And I understand how plots and, you know, stories develop, and we get sucked into them, right? I mean, that's how they're designed to be. But I'm thinking, there's some other things that really are worth crying over more. And I'm not talking about what's going on in the stock market and uh, political problems, but... Or, or necessarily even a friend's illness that they're going through. And we need to be tender and compassionate about all these things, and there needs to be a level of alertness and concern. But folks, where is the deep concern about the spiritual well-being of our country, of our neighbors? You know, are we more concerned that our neighbor is going to be having gallbladder surgery than they are on their way to hell? 
While we often have a need to come to a point of hurting in order to enjoy the closeness with God, He does not leave us in such a condition. You know, sometimes the Lord has to do a little tearing down, let us feel the pain so that we can empathize, so we can be a bit more tender. Because even compassionate ones of us, we can get a little calloused at times in our life. But what, is, what does the Bible say in Psalm 147, verse 3? He healeth the broken in heart. It is good for us to have this brokenheartedness in our life as we look around. You know, sometimes people ask me, you know, and I've had uh, individuals outside the church, you know, when you've had really grieving situations, you know, maybe there's a, a church discipline situation that we might have had to have gone through, and here's someone that I love and I've prayed for and, you know, done things with and fellowshiped with, and, and they were like, nope, don't want to hear it. Don't come over here, pastor. You know, I've made my decision. And you just think, don't they realize it's not a, about just distancing themselves from me or the church, but they're making a decision to really walk away from God in their life? You know, sometimes I wish I could say, oh, well, your choice, on to the next thing, you know. But you know, you can't do that if you love the way God wants you to love. You know, there's people that have really hurt and disappointed you know, not because they said something to aggravate me necessarily, but just because I, I see the, the path that they've taken away from the flock and away from their fellowship with the Lord and just think, I remember where they once were, where they were serving and everything like that. It still hurts. It's, it's still, and I'm thinking, that's good, I think. I don't ever want to come to a place where I'm like, they're lost. Oh, well, you know, that would be bad. You see what I'm saying? And so the Lord wants us to have this, this ability to hurt in that way, to feel that pain, to empathize. But then he also wants us to be humble, have this contrite spirit. Isaiah 57, 15 says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Wow, you know, God's way up here, transcendent. And, and who is close to God? Someone who's humble. Not someone who's braggadocious, not, not like the sons of thunder. Well, which one of us is going to sit on your right and left hand, Lord, you know? That's not the spirit he's looking for. It's interesting that the, the Hebrew word behind contrite spirit here literally means the beaten out spirit, contrite, the beaten out spirit. And, and, and when that word is used in some other places in Hebrew literature, even outside of the Bible, it pictures, in some occasions, a hammer beating a piece of ore to separate out the, the precious metal that you want, whether it's the iron or the gold or whatever, from all the worthless rock. You know, you'd have to go through that process before you could put it into the smelting pot and do the final uh, part of that well you know that rock can't feel that but if you animate that rock you say, ouch ouch that hurts you know being beat on and sometimes we feel like we're being beat upon don't we but you know when we go through those trials when we feel the hammer of God's providence 
It may just be to try to break out those elements in our life that are hindering us from really being able to enjoy closeness with Him. And the number one thing, the number one impurity is pride. And it's something that we all deal with in our lives. And it will ne- it'll take on different shapes in our lives. But as long as we draw breath, pride will be the number one issue that we deal with in our lives as Christians. God uses the Bible to confront our stubborn spirits. Like in Jeremiah 23, 29, he says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord? And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. So we're back at the hammer, and, he, and he's using the hammer to describe what? The scripture. And isn't that the way it works? When, when we are drifting from God, we're not in closeness and fellowship with him because we've allowed other things to kind of choke out and take that place. We begin to get a little proud, a little bit big for our britches, thinking, I got this, I can handle it, I know how to go through the Christian life, I don't need to be in my Bible all the time, I don't need to be on my knees in prayer. Guess what? We hear a verse, we hear a message, someone gives a testimony and shares a little piece of scripture in it, and what happens? It's like that hammer, right? Bam! And it's like, oh yes, Lord, thank you. The Spirit of God is pointing out these, this, this, this impurity of pride that has settled in and wrapped itself around the precious ore of what you're trying to do you're trying to bring me forth as gold and i have resorted back into my old ways ultimately it comes down to calling on the lord psalm 145 18 says the lord is nigh there's the closeness who is the lord nigh to the lord is nigh unto all that call upon him to all that call upon him in truth so god knows don't, don't come in a pretentious way. Don't, don't come saying something. Realize God's knowing what's in your mind. He's not just hearing what's coming out of your lips. There's been times I'm like, Lord, there's no point in me putting on airs because you and I both know what's real, really going on here. That's what he wants us to do. Come with truth. But we need to come in a brokenness. We need to call upon him. Say, Lord, I need you. I haven't been acting that way. I haven't been behaving that way. But, Lord, I recognize I really need to depend upon you. I want to finish with a quote from C.H. Spurgeon in what is called The Treasury of David. It's his voluminous work on the Psalms. And in it, he says that some people think God far away when he is really most near to them. Their eyes are holden so that they see not their best friend. In other words, they're, they're, they're stymieing their spiritual vision intentionally somehow. They're holding it. Indeed, he is with them and in them, but they know it not. They run hither and thither seeking peace in their own works or in experiences or in proposals and in resolutions, whereas the Lord is nigh them, and the simple act of faith will reveal him comes back to faith doesn't it trusting believing what god says in his word so how do you get close to god don't have a calloused heart allow that hurt to come but always embrace it in the grace of god be on guard about that pride welling up in your life and ask the lord to keep you humble whatever that might take 
Receive with gratefulness the teaching work and the hammer of God's word as it's breaking apart those impurities in your life. And call upon him in faith, and he will draw nigh to you in those times. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you would help us to take to heart what you've given to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.